But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pesaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And we're joined today by Tom Tanuki. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thanks very much for having me, gentlemen, and um, no consent. (laughs) Tom, listeners probably know you best as uh, one of the chief yellers of the group Yard, yelling at racist dogs. Yeah, been yelling for a while. Not yelling much at the moment. There's not much. There's a bit of a chest bug going around, so there's not many... um, rallies happening well there are there are some happening but due to the chest bug i'm not too inclined to go out there and yell and plus you know the the yelling at racist dogs or yard stuff was mostly about yelling at died in the wool nationalists and fascists and neo-nazis and patriot types and other far-right people and i suppose the protest going on at the moment can't be easily categorized like that but yes definitely did did yard until everyone stopped going out to anything, including, for the most part, rallies. And currently, yeah, do podcasts, do waffling online, uh, do videos, the whole kit and caboodle. And you've been watching, keeping a close eye on the anti-lockdown movement, and that's why we thought we'd have you on to explain it all. Yeah, well, I'm... In a neat little package, by the way. Oh, yeah. We don't want to raise more questions than we get answers. Oh, well, this is the thing. I'm so excited to talk to you, to talk to everyone, I'm talking to all my friends about these people because I feel like I've regained my youthful innocence again looking at them. You know, it's not as... Both of you would know very well, and, and I assume a lot of your listeners would do, that, that, that looking at fascists and neo-Nazis after a while drains you of energy because you, you can... You can hate them so much and sort of detest them so much and their disingenuousness and their hatred for their fellow working class that you you can get very jaded. And so watching a bunch of people that, yes, they're a far-right informed stuff, but they're also really cooked and fun and and I I never know what's going to come out of their beautiful mouths next. And I'm loving it. And I really want to hold on to that sense of, you know, childlike glee in terms of looking at these people. It's fun, you know? So, Tom... When did these folks emerge and from where did they come? Well, the anti-lockdown lot emerged probably informed by the American anti-lockdown lot to a degree. But it's also, you know, it's a real, it's a mixed bag and it's a coalition of different scenes of 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 conspiracy theorists and types of people. So there was already a very uh, strong established anti-vax contingent and, and they dipped right into it. You know, I, I, I mean, you recall... I recall people on Twitter and what have you going in late March going, oh, you know, where are the anti-vax lot now? Well, thinking that, of course, (laughs) they would have been shamed into submission by the grim reality of coronavirus, but that was not to be because by the time we got to mid to late April, they were very loudly calling the whole thing a hoax and or saying that it's a, a program run by Bill Gates to to get us all microchipped with a, a poisonous, toxic 
vaccine. So that's one contingent. There's also, and this is somewhat related in terms of the overarching conspiracy theory, but the anti-5G lot, they were already going, you know? I mean, if you look in places like Mullumbimby and what have you, and there was a strong anti-5G scene uh, going over in, in London and several other spots, but they uh, have joined forces with the anti-vaxxers. They've also been informed by you know, a, a ragtag assembly of people like sovereign citizens, who I'm sure we'll go into later. And 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 also there have been tagging around the sidelines nationalists, yes, um, uh, uh, people trying to get in there and red pill everyone, including people who are adherents to the really fun, hyper-conservative QAnon conspiracy theory from America. But then there's also been really cool things like, you know, sort of like, uh, Botox yoga mums, Greek grandmothers, and just a whole bunch of other people that I never would have expected. They're actually quite a diverse lot, and they come together in Australia. And I, I really do believe that they're a lot more diverse and and uh, unpredictable here than they are at the, the you know the the protests that we've seen over in America, where they're all standing there with their guns and they really look like patriot rally. They've all come together under the banner of the anti-lockdown thing, and it took a few people like a uh, Fanos uh, Panayides, who who became their sort of their their leader figures, to to whip them into a rage with just enough Facebook Live videos, and you know by the time we're into mid to late April, they were doing anti-lockdown protests, and here we are. I mean, one question that's been asked of me is if you examine the situation in the United States there seems to be a bit of astroturfing going on and there's speculation about the extent to which some of these protests, the anti-lockdown protests, are, well, composed of uh, Trump's fan base but also potentially receiving some kind of sponsorship or support mm. from uh, richer elements that also supported the Trump campaign. Are you aware of any kind of suggestion that that's the case in Australia? I'm not, not to my knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I think that there are a hell of a lot more ragtag a bunch here and, again, quite unpredictable. I wouldn't be surprised if it came to the very well-organised anti-vax elements um, who all appeared to jump into action quite quickly uh, or the anti-5G elements as well. And I, I think, like, um, you know, they've seemed a lot more ragtag and unpredictable when they head out to, to rallies here. Certainly the, the big Melbourne one run by Fanos Paniedis seemed like that. But, you know, at the same time, there's a, there's a to me, there's a really notable kind of misdirection in a lot of their major talking points. And when I say that, I mean, like, you know, you know I do wonder if the, the anti-5G conversation, you know, instead of having a really good conversation about 5G surveillance state apparatus... Which, you know, I'm, I'm there for that conversation. Instead, we're having this cooked conversation about how there's no such thing as a virus and 5G causes corona. And so I wonder about that misdirection if there's a degree of like, you know, a, a plain misdirection. So, you know, instead of us talking about real issues of state surveillance and the like, we're instead talking about this absolute rubbish. So, so. Whilst when I look at the issues that they're raising, I wonder about those issues. But I I do tend to wonder if 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 the 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 anti-lockdown movement in Australia is, as with many movements like we get this year, just that sort of a you know a willful effort to to copy what's going on uh, in America. I don't know what what do you guys think? Do you think that there's a bit of that going on here? Oh, I reckon if you'd paid for that Melbourne rally, you'd want your money back. <laughs> yeah. 
like <laughs> well, if, you, if you paid for that level of drama then yeah you've because you've really i mean the the what's happened in the wake of that rally is that everyone a lot of them particularly the leader figures like Thanos Panagiotis have now become so profoundly anti-police and anti-state that yeah again if you if you if you were paying for something i don't know if you'd be getting right now what you paid for yeah i thought it was interesting with Thanos, like at the Melbourne rally, he was taught like his first speech before he was uh, carted off by the police for dropping truth bombs about the Book of Revelations. Mm. Uh, his first speech was about how much he respected the police, and he's been on Facebook Lives this week talking about how he's going to arrest every cop in the state. And that he's uh, changed, he's really <laughs> changed in the past week or two, yeah. Pointing out that, uh, you know. The Victoria Police emblem as a pentagram. They're all agents of Satan now, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Um, so for yeah, I mean, there's there's that's a strong thread. The the and that ties into the QAnon stuff. The idea that everyone's uh, you know agents of the satanic cabal or what have you. I think those those threads that are, are have started life possibly quite a while ago with the the several year old. QAnon thing in America are now bleeding over here and you've got people talking about how everything has a secret satanic emblem hidden with it, including, as you said, the the, the Vic Pol logo. But, yeah, he used to really, really love the cops. I think he said once upon a time, I think I read once upon a time, he used to want to be one. But no more. Now he wants to take them all down. They're well, done for now. He, he technically still wants to be a cop when he's going to arrest all the other cops. He'll just be the super cop. Well, yes, that's it. And that's where some of these people, you know, a lot of these activists have these sovereign citizen types, uh, constitution essentialists, or, you know, or people who reinvent whole new forms of their constitution. And it's not that these, these guys might wax anti-state. You know, they might talk in an anti-state fashion, but a lot of their rhetoric, a lot of their fantasy narratives end with them being the new state in which they hang the coppers and they, you know, they try everyone for treason. So it's not really, they don't like being taken to task by the existing state apparatus, but they're just really keen to put a new one in in which they get their way. Something that uh, I don't think I've really seen anyone comment on, and maybe you could talk a little bit about this, is this idea of uh, their, their own courts that they're setting up. They want to set up their own courts. I've never seen anyone say what happens once they've tried someone and found them guilty. What have you, what have you seen about those? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm still in the midst of my deep dive into sovereign citizen stuff. And, and, and can I just say, you know, I think it's helpful in terms of understanding the people that are giving these anti-lockdown activists so much confidence with the police because they're the people who are coming online and saying, you know, the Constitution is not valid. It's actually a, you know, a fake corporate copy of a secret hidden Constitution that I can sell you for several hundred dollars if you, you know, buy it online. And, you know, they say that, that we're going to put in our own new monarchy, we're going to put in our own new courts, as you say. We fly the red ensign of Australia because that's the flag of the people rather than of the government. They have all these um, aggressive reinterpretations of the world. They're, it's helpful to learn about them because they're the people who are giving uh, so many of these, these, these anti-lockdown activists so much, uh, uh, you know, almost delusional confidence when they speak to the police. 
but that they do they and it's also but it's also really really fun because you know they're they're, they're a really interesting sort of person and I just uh, there were some they were a, they were a set of people that I always thought oh I'll get into them but I'll get into them later on like I'll start doing my deep dives later because they're not really affecting things but it seems now that with the anti lockdown lot they're they're reinterpretations of absolutely everything you know, that, that that informs law in Australia. It's actually, they're having their day in the sun a little bit, you know. They're they're influencing these people quite a bit. So I'm doing my deep dives. And, yeah, they want new courts. They want new, they want new flag. They want a new imperial crown of Australia. They even want a kingdom of Australia, which is really cool. We might get into that in just a second. I just, just wanted to say about the confidence that they have gotten from the sovereign citizens. Yeah. The funny thing is sometimes it works. Sometimes... If you're just mm-hmm. obnoxious enough to the police, it seems that they just... 98% of the time, it seems like if you don't give your name, etc., you're going to jail. And then there's just those 2% of times where they're like, all right, fair enough. This isn't worth the bother. Amazing. Cam, you yourself have shared quite a few of these videos. Hey? And, I, and, and I, what, what stuns me is just that it's not i've been trying to think of it what is it that gets them out of trouble when they are so horrendously rude to the police that they're talking to you know that what what is it that gets them out of trouble and it is that it's this mixture of this absolute confidence and and being quite deluded and they you know that you can see that the police realize that they're dealing with someone that is a bit nqr but then there's also this absolute, yeah, there's a complete self-belief in, in, in why what they're saying is right. You know, so they'll, they'll tell a police officer, you are ruled by a false crown. You know, I am a member of the kingdom of mankind. Don't call me a human. Call me mankind. And they say all these things, as I've said in several of these attempted sovereign citizen arrest videos. And as you say, sometimes the police officers just wander away. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I wish I had some of that lunatic energy at some of the rallies that I've been to, you know, and some of my comrades around me. You know, so many of the arrests that I've seen before, maybe they could have been saved, you know, if people were just weirder. There's only one way to find out. Yeah, have a crack, Tom. Experiment. See what approach works the best and and let us all know. But um... I was at IMARC screaming at the the CEOs that I was going to eat their bodies, and I didn't necessarily get dragged away at a place where they were dragging lots of people away. In fact, I look back in hindsight and, you know, now that we know about their their approach where they they tend to, and you could see this in the anti-lockdown protest in Melbourne, they take the speakers away. You know, they, they've definitely settled Vic Pol on a, you know, where they take the, the, the heads, of the, you know, who they see as the heads of the protest away to try and, you know, take its sense of narrative away and probably to build, you know, in this long-term strategy of thinking, okay, if this movement keeps going on, I'm going to start building up charges against the people who are leading the whole thing, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I was screaming there. I was doing a lot of screaming. I didn't get taken away. Maybe they thought I really meant that I was going to eat them. Yeah, they didn't want to end up on the menu. <laughs> Note to self, always scream about eating, people. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Tom Tanuki about the anti-lockdown movement in Australia. But seriously, I think it's it's also to do with things like colour and class and context. So if you're on the streets 
demanding an end to the lockdown, police have their regular powers to, to move people on, but basically what they're there to do is to inform uh, individuals that they're uh, acting contrary to regulations and will be subject to a fine. And if someone's not besieging a conference, um, isn't part of a, a group of people that the police recognise as being riffraff, as troublemakers, it's kind of a new phenomenon for them, for them, which they would more easily perhaps respond to as being, well, we need to tread a little bit carefully because there are sensitivities around the virus. We don't want to be seen to be acting, you know, in too draconian a fashion and our powers are to, to issue fines for, you know, non-compliance. Mm. I think if you're, uh, well, IMARC is one example, but there, there have been others where, if you're impeding, uh, you know, the business class from going about its uh, business of uh, destroying the world, you know, that's a pretty serious trespass. It would also be the case that police would be more familiar with those contexts and be able to employ the strategy that you've um, articulated, which is to identify ringleaders, people that they assume uh, um, have some significance in terms of directing the crowd to do or say certain things and also, you know, to, to, to behave with a, a certain added degree of brutality. There's something of a different standard being applied, but I think if these uh, protests persist and if they become a genuine social nuisance as far as the police and the authorities are concerned, I don't imagine that they wouldn't apply a little more force. Mm, mm. Uh, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, setting aside my ongoing, you know, curiosity and intrigue with these strange people and their strange capacity to be really horrible to coppers and just to get away with it in a way that a lot of my uh, comrades have not been able to. You're absolutely right. It's because they're not really threatening the state in any meaningful way, and you can tell. Uh, although, you know, there was actually a bit more violence at that anti-lockdown protest than I think we originally saw at the start. It certainly wasn't, um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything on the realm, you know, to the degree of uh, the IMARC protest or any one of a number of, of, of hundreds of other protests, you know. It wasn't the degree of brutality that the, the Vicpol or, or other police forces in Australia exercised towards you know, broke or black and brown communities in Australia and you can tell where their, I suppose, where their loyalties lie in terms of where they're real, you know, or who they consider to be a threat in terms of their treatment. I, and that's what I would like to tell that to these people now that, say, Thanos Panies has decided that he doesn't like the police for the first time very much. I would like him I would like them to consider that, you know, this didn't just start with you because you decided to chuck a sook because you can't go and uh, play cricket or, or suck down a schooner wherever you like. You know, this has been happening. You know, this has been happening. State violence has been happening arguably since 1788. But, you know, like even in, in, in terms of the role of the police, it's been happening to tons of us, you know. You know what I would like to tell them? I would like to say to them, for example, I imagine that lots of these anti-lockdown lot. You know, I hate to assume, 
but I'm going to assume that a lot of them would have, might have been the same people sitting behind the telly last year screaming that, say, the IMARC people or, you know, the Extinction Rebellion people or what have you were all, you know, filthy greenies, you know, blocking our traffic or what have you, rather than engaging in the messaging of the protest. Well, I'd like them to sort of consider that, you know, in a sense, that's them now. I mean, you know, whether or not I agree with their thing, and I don't, you know what I mean? I, I can separate the state response to the virus from the virus itself. To me, they're two different things. And, you know, we, we, a lot of us, have been, you know, we'll carry on about the way that the police have enacted this the infringement powers that they've got under coronavirus, you know, unduly or excessively against lower socioeconomic areas or migrant communities, you know, in New South Wales, Osman Faruqi, you know, published an, an article about a lot of that. I would like them to ki- consider, though, that, that this is the way the police have been operating, you know, and that that's you now. That's not just the greenies on the telly anymore, guys. Now, the thing is, though, the greenies on the telly don't have a king. <laughs> they don't have a king. You're absolutely so, right. But we do. Who's the king of Australia? And what is that all about? The King of Australia is Steve. <laughs> King King Steve. And I would I would insist on this show that you hail your new King Steve. And that all of your listeners have to hail the true King Steve. And you know, if they don't, well eventually they're going to be hung. You know, there's an amnesty period here. <laughs> and so if they don't if they don't want to, to you know, they're not necessarily going to get hung right away. The sovereign citizens who have anointed King Steve are magnanimous and they are willing to grant a grace period to, to for you to repent and to, you know, un, to write a letter to the Governor-General unswearing your allegiance to the false constitution and to swear your allegiance to the new United Kingdom of Australia with King Steve-O at its head. So, sorry... Look, so the sovereign citizen lot, you know, they have like a red ensign flag. We talked about this at the start. They have the red ensign flag as a, it's like an expecto patronum against the government. Like the, it's the, cause it's the flag of the people. So they all have to fly that and they use that as their magical warding amulet. Um, they say Australia is sovereign and, and, and has been since 1919. We're not talking about any real tangible Aboriginal sovereignty stuff. Oh, no, not the kind where you actually have to look at who was here first. No, nothing like that. No, it's the stuff where you become like this. They're monarchist LARPers, I think, and, and actually quite hyper-Christian. And that now I just released a video about one sovereign citizen who's who's informing a lot of the anti-lockdown movement. He's a guy called Wayne Glue, and he's like a constitution essentialist and a, a common law essentialist. He says that everything is hidden in a secret constitution that this government illegally ignores and so he he likes to remind everyone that they're all traitors and they're all going to get hung again these guys all everyone's going to get hung at the end of their fantasies you know but anyway these guys like king steve's followers go further they're like as i said they're monarchist fantasist larpers and christian fantasists too so they say we're going to have a an imperial crown of australia that enacts the will of the of the king james bible and we're going to have the United Kingdom of Australia. And anyway, this is guy who's been in videos and he sort of takes from a mix of like that Wayne Glue stuff and a few other uh, big names. Big name, you know, big, not big in the grand scheme of things. I mean, they're not they're not like Hollywood celebs, but you know, like relatively um, respected sovereign citizens and all their 
their, their talk about the constitutions, Magna Cartas and stuff. And he is, he, I don't know, he just seems like another video maker to me, a bit more aggressive than the rest of them. But they've all gotten behind him. And seriously, guys, just within the past few days, they actually anointed him the true king of Australia. And I just think this is really good news. And uh, I'm personally going to be writing a letter to get behind him uh, uh, and to renounce my citizenship under the false commonwealth and swear my allegiance to the true kingdom of Australia. Are you? Oh, absolutely. Good. 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 So we're all we're all yeah, okay. So we're all, we're all in on this United Kingdom of Australia then. I can't see any problem with it. So um yeah, why not? Mm. We've probably got time for one wrap-up question for the radio show and then we can keep going. Well, I guess uh, the question I would have is where do you think this is all heading, Tom? Look, you know, I talked at the start about my childlike sense of glee around these people. I dread to think that it's going to end in, you know, uh, good. It, the lockdown is going to dissipate. Um, you know, the prime minister has already, you know, has already announced that the coronavirus is done. <laughs> so we're on a pathway out of um, of this. You know, now that we don't have to worry about the coronavirus anymore. So that that's going to dissipate the anti-lockdown movement uh, out of the people that remain. I unfortunately think that quite a few of them, you know, most of the pathways that exist for newly awakened conspiracy theorists are very well-worn ones, uh, you know, forged by either established grifters like David Icke or Alex Jones. So, you know, they can be swept up into whatever narrative, you know, they might become a, a died-in-the-wool Alex Jones follower or a Q follower or something something like that and then they'll just be they will think whatever they're sort of told to think by their by their their, their new you know uh daddy in the conspiracy theorist world um but you know unfortunately for some of the others we all know about the prevalence and the popularity of uh, um jewish conspiracy theories in which a cabal of jews is running the world and it's a uh, it's very easy to get these people from thinking that the, the world is secretly controlled by a ruling cabal of elites into thinking that, that those elites are, uh, uh, the Jews, you know, and, and indeed I'm watching white supremacist neo-Nazi people do exactly that. You know, they're in there trying to red pill them over to the Jewish question and, and such at the moment. They are doing that. So. Uh, that, I think, is the, the path for a few of them. But, you know, it's a really unpredictable global time as well. So so who knows what permutations of the virus or of the economy or what have you will redirect these people into a new weird little, you know, scene next. I mean, but you can really see that these this coalition of anti-vaxxers and anti-5G people is not destined to last for a very long time. As long as they're getting more and more attention and they're, they're on the rise and Thanos is being talked to by the media and, you know, everyone's really interested in them, they can hang out together, however awkwardly. But as we know with other conspiracy theory scenes, as soon as things start to go on the downward decline, they're all going to start falling out with each other. So that will happen. A few of them will become neo-Nazis and hopefully a few of them will become, well, most of them will, will um, just sort of stop talking about how the 5G causes the coronavirus. Well, on that cheerful note, uh, we'll have to go, but we are going to have a little bit more of a chat on the podcast version of this show, which you can find at 3cr.org.au slash yeah, nah, Passaran. And people, of course, can find Tom Tanuki online, everywhere, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Just type in Tom Tanuki. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll be back next week, Andy. Global Intifada is up next. 
see you later. So, Tom, we've been watching a lot of this stuff online. Something that I haven't really seen other people talking about, and maybe you could speak to what you've seen, is this religious aspect to it all. So there seems to be like this real thread of Christian fundamentalism that's informing a lot of stuff that at first glance doesn't seem to have any religion in it. What have you seen about that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Thanos himself seems quite uh, hyper-Christian, I think, you know, sort of Christian slash red-pilled. I've, I've heard tell from people that apparently at his previous job, which he's now lost either due to corona or due to being, you know, a really cooked uh, conspiracy movement leader, I'd heard tell that he actually used to try and talk to people in his old job um, about some pretty strange sort of red pill type theories. I'm not really sure, but that, that informs the heads of this movement. There's quite a lot of people who are... It's, it's, it's a very odd demographic of people that make up this movement here, and a lot of them seem to be quite... Um, there's a lot of European people, I know. So a lot of, lot of second, third generation migrant communities, and that's what, you know, that's a lot of these things have surprised me about that. And, and there's a big prevalence of quite... Uh, strong religious background in a lot of those communities. Uh, that doesn't speak to why this movement is hyper-Christian, though, because we're just talking about, you know, the communities of people that attend church regularly. That doesn't mean that they're sort of, you know, quite fundamentalist Christian. However, when you combine that with the, I suppose, the light versus evil nature of a lot of the most prevalent conspiracy theories, it's very easy, I think, to reactivate or reawaken in people a sense of, like, their their Christianity in a in a, in a sort of a, a, a newly awakened or red pill kind of sense. I think that's what's going on there. I think that that the influence of QAnon, which you know I see has been quite hyper Christian now in nature, it's increasingly so it, 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 for, for for followers in America. The QAnon stuff seeping over here through the popularity of docos like Out of Shadows is awakening that sense of 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 light versus evil, God versus Satan in, in, in people who otherwise might have been just, you know, generally like, oh, I just go to church or what have you. So as they're being radicalised or what have you, suddenly they're being radicalised into this idea that the, the light worker Donald Trump is fighting this evil, satanic cabal of Hollywood celebs and politicians. And if you get into the Q's expanded universe, you really, you're getting into a light versus evil story, which is very, you know, has strong Christian... Uh, undertones, and so I, I think that awakens that Christianity in them. What, what what do you guys think? Do you think that covers some of it, or am I missing something here? In terms of how they their worldview, it's informed by this idea that there are forces of good and evil yeah. that are battling it out, yeah, and we're in a crisis. But I also think it speaks to their belief whether it's explicit or otherwise, in, a, in an apocalypse, in end times, of um, some idea that there's a final battle looming. Mm. And I think that's certainly what informs QAnon ideology, where yeah. uh, Trump has been cast as, if not quite the Messiah, then at the very least the leader who is prepared to shine a light to, you know, well, clear the swamp, Mm. You know, rid Washington, rid uh, the world of these malevolent forces, mm. and partly that's achieved through exposing them. And what evil forces do is they cast a spell on the masses so that they're unaware. And so these people think that they're, you know, they're proselytizing on behalf of this kind of 
semi-religious conception of politics mm. where they're bringing light to the masses. It's all about, I mean, they do trade on those ideas about, you know, the red pill. It's like suddenly your world is transformed. Um, the world, in a sense, remains the same, but your view is completely transformed and suddenly you're exposed to the truth and it's horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the, the, the other sense I get from many of the people who participate is their alarm. Or if you take, um, you know, uh, Thanos, I think in some, I haven't closely examined his, you know, productions, but in, in some of them he makes reference to his father and his childhood and yeah. being informed by his father, you know, don't trust, implying that there are malevolent forces out there that are going to try and, you know, sabotage his life, yeah. destroy the world, and you've got to pay attention. You've got to pay attention to the signs. Yeah. And they're very much about, you know, semiotics, um, yeah. you know, interpreting signs, which is what happens, I think, when they, you know, there is some sense in which there's some incipient anti-statism, but it, it's it's understood through this kind of the, 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 the symbols that the police wear on their uniforms. It's not an understanding that's based on social relations. You know, who are the police in relation to the government? What's the government in relation to politics, economy, society? It's, it's, it's coming from a very different place. And so that's why there's this... Yeah, I, I detect a constant kind of like like a inability to perhaps stare beneath the surface. And so that's why you, you, there's this, this obsession with with playing around with the words, looking for them, you know, like that guy at the anti-lockdown protest going, officer means officer, you're a, you know, <laughs> you're a person who's a walking contract. You know, there's and the staring into the symbols of the Vic Pol thing and seeing satanic emblems and what have you, it's a mistrusting authorities but then sort of inventing... Uh, connections, this hyperactive ability to, you know, overstimulated ability to look for connections between absolutely everything to determine why you're being lied to by everyone. You can see the frustration. I'm like, I, it doesn't surprise me that this scene, in hindsight, exploded because conspiracy theorists are very driven by their anxieties about their inability to understand things, and it sort of looks like a bit of a control complex, you know, like it's a, it's, it's, it gives you a lot more agency to go, you know, I'm like a, uh, I'm a, I'm a rebellious truth info warrior. It's certainly more agency than sitting at home and going, you know, there's a virus on and I've been told I have to be home and just avoid it like the plague, literally. You know, like there's a lot more agency in being an info warrior. So I think that they dispel their anxieties by doing a lot of this. But yet the whole thing, the very thing of it is is, is very reflective of their, their, their driving anxieties itself, eh? Hey? I think it's also cool and fun. Like yeah. the, the stuff you find delight in their, their you know, <laughs> their craziness yeah. is also what drives them because they they feel like they've stumbled upon this world and they're, they're going down a rabbit hole or moving through the looking glass or whatever and there's so many opportunities to reinterpret the world in a way that makes sense to them. That also puts them at the centre in some sense of the drama where yeah. they become a real actor. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a fantastic sense. And, and the thing I find slightly tragic about it is their creativity and imagination is uh, you know almost unbounded. Mm. It's just that it's been it's fallen into this kind of, I think, a political cul-de-sac where it's only going to generate more delusionary beliefs about the world and how it functions. I totally and you know, agree, I, yeah. I do. I mean, that's also reflected, I think, in the um, you know the sense of entitlement that some of them express, or the shock and horror when police don't you know <laughs> acknowledge their authority. Mm. It's like 
It's also informed, I think, by certain innocence or naivety where this is the first time I was they've um, decided to go and do something about things and they go out onto the streets and it's like suddenly reality hits them in the face and it's it's just not like that. It's not like just because you think you're possessed of something like the truth doesn't mean the cops are going to care. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I found that with reclaimers as well, many of them. It was like um, they'd finally gotten out from behind their keyboards and they were going political. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's one thing to do that, uh, informed by these whatever ideas they have about how the world works and another to try and put that into practice. And suddenly, and it's interesting that this bloke was at the rally saying, oh, you know, love the cops, blah, 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 as if he could placate them without having an understanding that the cops, you know, <laughs> they've heard it all. It just doesn't matter what you say. They've got a job to do and they'll do it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the fact that you think you're, you know, you want them to be your mates or, you know, whatever's going on inside your head is kind of pretty secondary to what what they've been assigned to do. I think that it's been, it has been nice. That sense of naivety has been refreshing to see just because, you know, the, the more... Uh, jaded people, because certainly with the reclaim movement, I mean, there's not really that same undertone. There's undertones, or there's certainly people trying to push them all towards it, but there's not the same overarching thing of this. Is it's not about race or what have you, you know? And actually, there's a there's a yeah, like I say, I, I do insist that there's a, you know there's a more slightly more diverse construct to all this, you know. It's it's a pretty conservative in nature, and it, you know, I I'm pretty sure it's going to get more so, or for the people that linger around it and what have you. But whilst it's here, it's actually quite. It's it's somewhat disarming to see. Does it remind either of you in any way like like Annie mentioned that that it's a little bit like, you know, some of it reminds you of old reclaim. Does it remind you generally of that? It's sort of like springtime weird online movement. Do do you think that there are other similarities to the old Patreon movement with it? I think you remarked on this in one of your early videos about the uh, anti lockdown movement. Uh you definitely get some of the uh, Sherman Burgess Facebook live energy. Yeah. From some of these guys where, yeah, they're getting a, a taste of what it's like to have an audience and then they just want to keep getting that sugar rush every time they get the little like thing pop up in their feed. Mm. I guess the, the thing, the other thing that I noticed about these guys is that there is an undercurrent of anti-Semitism that's running through it a lot more than I think people realise. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's hard because... It, no one has the time to watch every single Facebook live video that these people are making. <laughs> we try, uh, but, you know, it's not very easy. <laughs> but it's it's like every now and then there'll be a reference to, you know, who really runs Hollywood and who really runs the banks. Just little things. And I think it's it, it's also the same with the, the Christian thing we were talking about. Some of it might just be assumed. We don't have to talk about the Jews because we're all on the same page, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Well, they speak in vagaries. and they're, But they're also, you know, when people are noticed the extreme suggestibility of someone who is newly part of this world. You know, these spaces, that Telegram channel for Thanos' 99% United or the Facebook group, they're spaces in which people trade back and forth wildly conflicting conspiracy theories and so long as the movement's still getting juice and is on the rise and everyone's a little bit fresh-faced they don't mind how wildly those theories contradict each other they're going to taste test all of them 
Yeah, I really noticed that. They're quite happy to hear all of it. And so that's how it can really go anyway. Well, they, they, they said, a lot of this has started with their mistrust of the government messaging. So they're all very susceptible to hearing that the world or the Australia is being run by a group of people who are not telling you the truth. You know, it's not a very great leap to that. Once you get to that, who it is that you then decide is 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 the person that runs the world well that's just up to who possibly who gets to you first with their theory or gets to you most and the hardest and you know we all know that there are groups of 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 concerted white supremacist types who make it their mission to do this kind of thing you know what i mean all they're doing is considering who and how and where they can radicalize people into this thing and this is you know this is a good this is a good space for them it's, it hasn't been perfect i have seen them pop in uh, overtly or covertly racist stuff and other people go to them which has been really nice for me to see you know people go to them no, 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 this is not really a race thing. You know, I have seen a bit of that from just individual members, but as you say, Emma, I have also seen the people who are, you know, um, uh, getting red-pilled quite quickly, and it's no great leap for them to do so, hey? Um, what, what was it? You saw something, I think, you might have shown it, or maybe someone else did earlier, that someone had shared a, um, an article, you know, playing on the whole the old African gangs hysteria into there and and that stimulated a lot of them into a bit of racist rage didn't it yeah although as you to be fair as you said there were a couple of people say that did push back but for the most part it was 99 percent yeah uh just getting whipped into a frenzy yeah i think there is maybe a slightly increased awareness that whether it's born out of the experience of reclaim or something else, they don't want to be framed as just a racist movement. Mm. You know, uh, they're you know many of them are, are consciously seeking to avoid that kind of thing, and that's healthy in some ways. But I mean, it just seems like, and and for good reason, that the world of conspiracies is heavily informed by anti-Semitism. Yeah, um, it's almost inescapable. Uh, whether the Jew appears as a lizard or yeah. a, you know, tech guy or whatever, and I mean, if that to the extent that that's present, you know, that's that's um, one direction in which it might lead. But to the extent that it's informed by some kind of Christianity, serious about Christian doctrine, and I'm not assuming that many are, but you know, the Jews remain those who've refused Christ. Mm. Refused to come to the party, and uh, in that sense, uh, you know, apostates and outsiders, and unable to be assimilated. And I don't think it's really. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, you know. But as you say, it could go. Any individual could go one way or the other, and it's very hard to predict. And but that's also the the kind of the attraction and the beauty of the the, con, the world of conspiracies is it's so open to interpretation. Because it's also because it's so incoherent. Who are they? <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, when I think of um, Cottrell, in his, he was very, you know, he had the smarts to be very careful about uh, identifying the fact that there was this foreign hostile agent, but he never named it. You know, he avoided the JQ. Yeah. Which yeah. I think was to his, not to his credit, but to his um, benefit. Hmm. Yeah, um, totally. That that may have changed, and I think it would be a moment of decision for many people if any of these figures were to. I mean, yeah, they'll use you know they'll refer to the Rothschilds, yeah, 
and um, just as Burgess did. And it was only sometime later that he began to identify the Rothschilds with being Jewish and that being, you know, particularly significant. Whether or not these guys, you know, are going to jump on that train, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think for some of them, I think for the the, the, the grifter element, mm. they're going to try and avoid that sort of thing. Totally, yeah. Yeah, and I and I, I put Thanos Paniedis in with the grifter element. <laughs> you know, I, I I do. He's um he he doesn't want to be called an anti lockdown activist, even though he uh, started. You know, he helped to signal boost. He didn't actually created that that uh, flog Craig Cole, who attended the Fraser Anning talk after Christchurch. He started that protest, but Franos, you know, helped popularise it, but he went there, but he, he doesn't want to be called an anti-lockdown activist, and that's just be He just wants to lead the broadest church as possible, you know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. He doesn't like being called a bit of a uh, a fame seeker by me and what have you. I think he pushed, he got a little bit um, narky about that one when I, 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 I said that, but, you know, look, because he, he sees the best in himself. <laughs> I understand that most of us do see the best in ourselves. But, you know, we, we've we've been around to see this stuff before. We keep going back to Sherman Burgess, reclaim stuff. You could see how excited they are. You know, they feel like revolutionaries. They they, they feel like they're, they're really, really famous all of a sudden. And indeed, as you've just said, you know, now, you know, there's this... this Media outlets that that, that that you know want to talk to him. I think it's, it's, I was talking to to someone earlier who was saying that sixty minutes now I want to have a conversation with him. So really, the world's arriving to meet his misplaced, um, previously misplaced delusions of grandeur. You know, like the world is accommodating him, so he is getting a bit of a name, and he does want to keep as many people on board as possible, and he does want to keep his profile and feel like he's a rising star. They they, they love it. They're very enthused. Yeah, sixty minutes today, maybe sunrise tomorrow. Mm. You, you could explain to the cash cow how the uh, NWA wants to replace all of his delicious cash with digital currency. <laughs> well, this is the convenient thing of a presence of a figure like Thanos. Like, Thanos may be, he doesn't come across like too much of a crank, but he doesn't come across as very informed either. And I think if you put him on 60 Minutes and, ha- you know, he was on, was he on Arby Yemeni? Arby released his video earlier today and... Harvey was pretty straightforward. I mean, nothing that they talked about in that video was an issue that I really disagree with Harvey on because Harvey's not, you know, Harvey's not a, a, a coronavirus hoaxer, you know. So for once I'm sitting there and I'm not really disagreeing with Harvey Yemeni, you know, in that, uh, uh, you know, I don't really have any uh, uh, wages in that one, but sitting there listening to them talk, you know, Harvey was quite agreeable and I was sitting there agreeing with him, but he he got quite flustered with Harvey a couple of times in there. So imagine him on a 60 Minutes. I don't really see him as keeping his cool under the sustained direction of, a, I suppose, a journalist. And I think he's, he, he'll be quite convenient for putting anyone in that movement, even people who do have maybe some salient concerns in with that. And the whole thing is an exercise potentially in misdirection, you know. You can't, you can't go and talk about 5G s- surveillance concerns because then you're like a 5G coronavirus kook. You know, they, they have this inability to separate the violence from the state response to the violence, and so you can't take any of their messages on coppers or what have you seriously because, you know, if you go, oh, you know, the coppers are really bad, I'm agreeing. But if you go, the coppers are really bad and their symbol is an upside-down satanic emblem, then, then you know, I'm going, oh, okay, fairness. I mean, come on. So, you know, he's probably quite handy for ruining the, the popularity of his own movement in that respect. Yeah, I think that's just how it's played out, though. I'm not, I, 
I'm not really sure that uh, like anyone could uh, is actually pulling the string there. Mm. Probably my little you, lefty conspiracy theory kook coming out. Yeah, you mentioned at the top of the show that you uh, didn't give consent. No consent. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about the uh, the no consent letters. Oh yeah, that are being sent out. Well, I mean, we discovered that thing a few days before it had really um, hit the papers. But you know, there was a. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the politician, the ex-politician, the guy who was quite popular. It was quite early on. I think it was late March with a video saying that coronavirus wasn't real. He was very ahead of the curve in that respect. He was the first anti-vaxxer. Do you remember what his name is? The boat with the red hair and the beard? I can't remember. A former Australian politician? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or he was a candidate or what have you, hey? But he's an anti-vaxxer and he was saying that 5G, either 5G causes the coronavirus or it's all just an attempt to get vaccines into you. And his, his videos got quite popular. But he, he helped to spearhead this campaign in which you'd start paying for uh, auto-generated letters to be sent to politicians. And then also in these Facebook groups for anti-vax spaces, they started um, getting together, pulling their resources and writing all these letters. And now it started um, uh, apparently bombarding politicians. I mean, how many letters do they say they're now receiving i think it's thousands yeah. and my consp- like my lefty conspiracy theories this has all been orchestrated by australia post <laughs> is to correctly let the government know that you don't consent to either vaccination or lockdowns you have to send three letters i think and it's three for each issue so that's six letters which you're paying these guys like five bucks a letter or something mm. minimum yeah but also, you've got to send them as registered mail. Uh-huh. So it's like $7.50 an envelope uh, and like 20 something dollars for the ones you're sending to the Queen and the Pope, just to let them know as well. Also, can I say, and- have you tried sending a letter during this pandemic? This is not... I sent something from two suburbs away and it took over two weeks to get there. I don't know how these thousands of letters have all got there at the same time. Yeah, that's weird. But yeah... You keep sending these letters. I think the first letter you uh, you ask the questions, you know, can you let me know that uh, vaccines are completely 100% safe? And if they don't respond, then it's like making, you know, it's like making a complaint to a television station. They have to respond within a certain number of days and then you can go to ACMA. But this is like the, the second, then you send the second letter letting them know that they haven't responded. And then if they don't respond to that, you send the third letter and then, uh, hey, presto, you aren't, don't get a vaccine, which as an adult, you can just not get a vaccine. But anyway. Yeah, you don't really have to, you know, there is no forced vaccine. The amount of conversations I've seen about people who, you know, because they're convinced that this whole thing is a pandemic to lead to a, a forced vaccination against the coronavirus, they're already convinced that there is a vaccine against the coronavirus. And so telling them that there isn't actually one is not, it's not what they want to hear. They're not interested in hearing it. But they, yeah, but the line, I do not consent, comes up constantly, that they don't consent, I don't consent. And this is not discussion of anything, you know, I, you know we're all used to the word consent or language of consent being around, you know, when it's okay for people to, you know, touch you or, you know what I mean, like about providing enthusiastic consent for sexual contact or what have you. You know, that's what I'm used to with consent. But in the eyes of these people, it's a very, it's a whole different thing. You know, I talked about it in one of my earlier videos. Just to me, it's like a, it, like I said earlier, it's like a boomer expecto patronum. You know, you know, you 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 can just say that, and then the world really has to accommodate you. And there's a lot of them who say, "I don't consent 
to 5G. I don't consent to vaccines. I don't consent to the lockdown because it's eschewing that kind of communal responsibility, isn't it? Really, you know, there's the, there's there's a communal responsibility aspect, not in the way that the coppers or the state enforce restrictions, but in responding to the virus itself. We are all supposed to communally be responsible to each other to do things like, you know, not hang out and drag our virus around each other. Whereas this is another sense of far less communal and far more individualist freedom that they're talking about. The freedom for them and really only them to do what they like, you know. And I see that in their use of the word consent, like because consent's usually about two people and about, you know what I mean, like like creating an enthusiastic boundaries that people are able only able to step over when they understand where each other's coming from. No, with them, they're going, no, I don't want it, no. It does bring to mind Cottrell's experiment with the uh, My Will letters. Oh, I don't remember that. That's What, what, what did he do? Oh, there was a moment there where he, I think it might have been, it was by way of some other crank, and um, I think he thought it was a good idea. And the idea was, it was very similar. You sent, you know, a letter on with formal letterhead to the, you know, I can't remember, it might have been the Governor General or some other uh, legal or political authority. And um, it was very um, carefully articulated. You needed to present this information in a particular fashion. So it was it pretended to be some kind of legally binding contract with the authorities or the government. And I, I can remember there was, I may still have it, there was like a video produced where I think it was Cottrell or someone else had bundled together like you know, 20 copies of this letter that had been sent by his fans, <laughs> which was along the lines of, you know, and, and I think I looked it up at the time and, and there was some guy, he's probably still got a website uh, with instructions. It, was a, it wasn't um, it wasn't monetized. I think it was more like go to this website, download the form, this is how you do it, send it off to your MP or the Governor General or whoever and, uh, you know, they'll no longer have any legal claim to you. It was like it may have been quite specific in the sense that you know, my will is that this mosque not be constructed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I thought it um, had something you know, Islam's related, hey? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it's, it goes back. There's this whole kind of, if you examine the literature that the far right produced in especially regional and rural Queensland during the 1970s and 1980s, drawing upon the US experience, there was a, this whole uh, theme around the law and the state and what it is that a free man is uh, able or compelled to do, it's kind of been subterranean. And I think what the the internet has allowed is, like everything else, uh, almost instantaneous communication. You, uh, you're more, much more able to, to run it up the flagpole and see who salutes and, and, and shit goes viral mm. as well. Um, you can just cohere enough people who are prepared to support some rinky-dink idea, suddenly Australia Post is dealing with thousands of letters or something. Yeah. I mean, I kind of admire the, the grifter angle. It's like, yeah, you know, and, and there is some sense in which, well, if you pay for it, it's got to be, you know, probably legit. Yeah, totally. I've just found this download the My Will letter thing, and it does on ah. the same page 
have uh, something where you can buy your own copy of the annotated Commonwealth of the Australian <laughs> Constitution from Wayne Glue over in WA. <laughs> so it may oh, actually all tie back to Wayne. He's a persistent character, <laughs> this guy. I'm really, I, I, you know, my last video was mostly about him, but I really only scratched the surface. I was only sort of really talking about him in relation to the way he appears to be informing the the ridiculous, you know, the very brazen attitude of some of these anti-lockdown activists towards the coppers but you know i could really go a lot more into him because he's been really persistent and i you know i first i never really looked into him too much but i remember his name would pop up consistently throughout the patriot movement hey Ken, andy (laughs) (laughs) am i the only one here that really cares about wayne glue (laughs) no no i i he's he's one of a, a type i think so he's a an old an older gentleman yeah. who has a um, particular understanding of the law and its obligations. And you know, I do think it, it is actually significant that he was what a former copper turned farmer who got kicked off his land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at um, Australia in the eighties uh, during the course of uh, drought and so on, there were lots of farmers, like in the United States and elsewhere, uh, in very precarious situations, especially in relation to the banks. Mm. And who were desperately casting casting about for some form of salvation yeah, yeah. that would alleviate them from their financial burdens, which were pretty onerous. Yeah, and and that's the precisely the the kind of um, territory into which you have you know either you know goodwilled or misguided legal advisors or charlatans mm, mm, mm. who are saying, look, there's a very simple solution, mate. You know they're wrong. And all you need to do is demonstrate, you know, whatever the, the story is. Yeah. Um, so I think on one level it is kind of the reason it might resonate is because it does respond to a real a need, a real situation. It's just given such a, you know, crack-brained approach. But, yeah, if you look at the kind of – I'm trying to think of the – there's a publication. It used to be like it was – it was also very closely tied to gun lobby, the rural gun lobby. Mm. And, and, you know, you look at moments when uh, Howard was taking the guns away. Uh, that was also considered lock, stock and barrel. You, you, you may be familiar. I don't know if it's still being published. It wasn't until quite recently, but for years, for decades, it was like a, you know, basically a zine, yeah. which had an audience and, and it was very rural. So it would carry advertisements, you know. Uh, farming equipment alongside advertisements for some crackpot group that you could write away to to get their pamphlet explaining the financial system or whatever it yeah, might be. Yeah. And and that kind of um, that actual that publishing has collapsed because the advertisers aren't there and everyone's you know everything's moved to Facebook and to you know Google. Yeah, they can all. So that's where the conversation has shifted. Yeah, that's it. And when they have these weird coinciding moments, I suppose, like you know, with Wayne Glue and the anti-lockdown lot, then they can they can reach the voices of a lot more people. I imagine his sales of the secret hidden constitution have skyrocketed of late. All you have to do is send $150 in an envelope up to his uh, PO box over in Geraldton in WA and um, you get you get the secret red constitution. You know the secret red one as opposed to the fake official green one? Have you got a copy? No, but I'm thinking about it. Do you think this is... Uh, yeah, maybe I should. I should possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, it might be worth the investment, you know. Yeah, um, it went well for Wayne and his uh, his house, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he had owed over three hundred thousand dollars in rates, and then, and you know, after many years of contesting that and saying that this doesn't apply under the Magna Carta, 
the Magna Carta from back in the 1200s. He um he lost his house. They took his house from him, didn't they? Mm, so food for thought. Uh, Andy, we've probably got time for one last last question. If you'd like uh-huh. to ask it, uh, no, I think you should, Ken. Oh, well, I don't. Have I asked the last last question. <laughs> All right. Well, my, my last question would just be, where do you think this is going? But we already asked that. We did ask that question. Well, um, maybe we'll just wrap I, it up then. Or have you got well, a question? I, I do. Um, well, here we go. <laughs> What I was going to ask is, um, Tom, uh, for people who are wanting to orientate themselves around this uh, movement and its concerns, what have you found to be, apart from actually, you know, reading their groups and, you know, familiarising yourself with the the circus that way, is there any kind of, what else informs your approach to understanding this stuff and making sense of it? Um, I've been learning a great deal about um, uh, the the various surrounding conspiracy theories from... Well, the Q stuff has been very helpful to me. Uh, in, uh, the, what has been very helpful for me has been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast, and that is perhaps the most entertaining primer you can receive on on not just QAnon, but also um, the, the various tangential surrounding theories around that. It's an excellent really fun podcast. Um, Cam Smith's podcast about conspiracy theories has also been an excellent one to follow. Uh, um, <laughs> and um, the Hypothetical Institute, great. And I have been... But, I, uh, you know, the, the, look, there's been articles here and there on stuff, but I have had the most joy in terms of trying to understand each of the theories themselves in their own right because i don't think there's been a great deal of 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 people outside of maybe us here talking right now the three of us and a couple of others i don't think there's many 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 people who've really been uh uh, giving it the attention it it may or may not deserve but i i have been you know like i've so i would spend my time looking at 5g related stuff and learning about the history of that individually and then going back to these spaces and you know sort of saying like where did the 5g movement come from um i would look at anti-vax stuff i mean that's a whole world unto itself really isn't it perhaps the most you know lucrative and and well-oiled machine of all of the contingents that make up the anti-lockdown movement um but yeah looking at looking looking at the various conspiracy theories that tied up because it like QAnon stuff is in America. It's a bit of a big tent conspiracy uh, uh, scenario, as in, you know, there are many, many different conspiracies that all seem to be finding their temporary home underneath the anti-lockdown movement. So not too much there. You know, I've I've been trying to do that to a degree for people who enjoy sitting there for some time looking at videos on YouTube, which I accept is not everyone, but I've been doing commentary videos looking, you know, in several parts now, and I intend to do many more, looking at you know, not just the overarching anti-lockdown thing, but looking at the many different, you know, contingents underneath it. I did one just yesterday looking at Wayne Glue and some of the sovereign citizen lots, um, and I shall do many, many more. So um, uh, please have a look at my YouTube channel if people are interested in that sort of a primer. It's sort of just me taking the mick out of these people to a degree, but also, you know, um, watching and increasingly just sort of deep, deep diving into what they're all about and where their ideas come from and such. So everyone can go and have a look at my stuff, hey? <laughs> yeah. All right. I reckon that'll do it. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Thanks for having me. 
Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. 